Right. So this morning, what I would like for us to look at as we look at this passage and this story in Joshua chapter 7 is to see what God has to say about holiness. So we're going to take a, look, take, a, take a look at two levels of what holiness is about. One, we're going to take a look at the personal pursuit of holiness. So meaning for us, personally, how do we pursue holiness? And then the second, how do we pursue holiness as a church? So we're going to take a look at Joshua chapter 7 and how that looks like. And you know that holiness is really pursued because it is a lifelong process. It's not like an overnight thing when God said, like, you know, to be holy, that you are holy the next day, <laughs> right? It is a pursuit every single day that we are to choose, and we have to make a decision, a conscious decision in our part to take that holiness or to pursue that holiness. In the book, Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, it's like one of the oldest books that you could probably read, and it's a really great book, and if you haven't read it, I, I suggest that you put it in your list to read as one of the books. But in the book Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, he defines holiness this way, and I really like the way that he says it. He said, to be holy is to be morally blameless. It is to be separated from sin and therefore consecrated to God. And the word signifies separation to God and the conduct befitting those separated. So it's kind of a long definition but really the essence of it is really pursuing that morally blameless life and being separated from what is unholy or from sin so therefore consecrated to God so the Bible describes living a holy life as living in this new self putting off the old self and putting on your new self in what God has called you to do so in this topic you know, I want us to look at the importance of pursuing that holiness, not just personal holiness, but also uh, the corporate um, pursuit and responsibility of that holiness. So even more now, right, like what we just heard, even more now during the pandemic where Christians are trying to be a little bit more isolated because we have to have that six feet apart, you know, we're watching streaming videos for church so rather than meeting together, that we are becoming more isolated sometimes and not really meeting together. So how much more, right? Where accountability can be pushed aside because now we don't feel responsible within the community when we sin. And we don't see, almost do not see the importance of pursuing that personal holiness as we are um, isolated. And it, of course, we know that when we are not within community, and we are not with like-minded Christians pursuing holiness together. And that's when kind of like the connection, you know, pulls apart from um, really realizing what God has called us to. So we're going to take a look at that. But as we will see in the story this morning, that one of God's high calling for Christians, for us as his people, is really to be holy. So... We're going to see in the story, while he doesn't really mention that, um, what it is is really in his message for us this morning in, in, in John, uh, Joshua chapter 7, um, when he talks about the people being con um, consecrated. Um, the idea of holiness is actually nestled into that command that God had um, to be clean, to be pure from the outside influences. 
And you know, some of you might think it's easy, especially probably now, right, that we are really isolated from the culture, that we're not really going to the grocery store as much, we're not going to the movies, we're not uh, meeting a lot more with people that you might think that it's really easy for us to probably be a little bit more holy. Like we feel like we can actually push back and not feel that we are influenced. But if you really think about it, you know that we are influenced every single day, whether we like it or not. And the fact is that even our churches are influenced every single day of sometimes of how we worship, how we play our music, how we even dress for church, right? Sometimes it could be influenced. So we're gonna try to navigate through that and, and see how that would work in, in what God has called us um, to navigate through. And you know, I think sometimes it's so sad that like you hear churches, like they don't wanna talk about Jesus anymore. I mean, think about that. Like, you know, what kind of influence is that? So if we're really not careful, what's going to happen is the culture is going to determine how we do worship versus God telling us in how to do worship, that pure worship. And we have to make sure that um, what we, we need to make sure is that we are preaching the gospel when we are going to church. So um, this morning, I really want us to think about that, about holiness you know, pure worship to God as individuals and as, as a church, you know, let us be careful of what we are ingesting as a church and what we are expelling as a church. We have to be uh, a little bit more careful of what is coming into our culture as a church, as the people of God, and we have to be more intentional about the message that we are pushing out to the world. All right, so as we do that, as we dive into the Word today, uh, let us stand together as we read through a little bit of jo Joshua chapter 7. Let's read through Joshua chapter 7, and then we'll dive into it. It says, but the people of God, beginning verse 1, but the people of God, the people of Israel, broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now Joshua sent men to Jericho, to Ai, from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went out and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of I. And the men of I killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the desert. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan and all, to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would what we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan, O Lord, what can, can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, 
will hear of it and will surround us and cut, up, cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has, has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant, what I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their belongings and their own belongings. Therefore, the Lord of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have come, become devoted to, for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe of the Lord takes by lot, by lot shall come near by, by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous things in Israel. Our dear God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that it's still alive today. Lord, we thank you so much for your people here that are hearing this, and those for those people that are will be hearing this message, Lord, that you would be the one to touch their hearts, to change them. And Lord, hide me behind the cross, Lord, and let your words be, um, go forth and change lives, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, so there's a lot to, to take in in Joshua chapter 7. And what I really want to remind us of today as we take a look at this, this passage, especially when we take a look at maybe church discipline and, and even personal discipline, while it seems like a good idea in Joshua chapter 7 that there's maybe this formula that we can take, um, it's not really a, a, a formula that God is prescribing to us here today. And the story is very specific to their time, very specific. Um, they're calling from God and their instruction from God, what will happen to a person who disobeys God's instructions. So he had a very specific um, in information to, to give to the people. And Achan and his family, and we didn't get to read through all of that here, but uh, we will see here that there is this one person that actually took those devoted things and he took it and put it in his tent. So we will take a look at that a little bit more. But Achan and his family were stoned to death for the disobedience, for their disobedience um, from what God had instructed from them, which is not to take those devoted things, all right? So we're gonna hear a lot about the devoted things. And in fact, it's like so much repeated in Joshua chapter six and even Joshua chapter seven about these devoted things. And if you actually take a look at the original language, it's actually almost similar um, to being consecrated. So when you're devoting something, you can either devote it to something that is for good or devoted for destruction. It's like what Joshua, um, that we can see here in the book of Joshua. And I just remember growing up, I don't know if you had this um, growing up, but I grew up in Philippines and you know, back in the day, like we really took care of our stuff. I don't know if you remember doing that. Even Tupperware was like, 
a commodity that you wanted to take care of because you don't want to lose it, right? But my grandma always had a cabinet just for these really, really fancy plates. Like, she did not want us to touch that. I mean, it was like in this like glass case, but the cabinet was like really guarded. I was surprised that she didn't have a padlock on it, right? But I knew for a fact that like if my grandma wanted to use those things, it was for a special purpose. It wasn't for something that, you know, we're gonna have breakfast today, let's take out all the, <laughs> the nice uh, plates and the silver spoons. She did not do that. But when she actually took them out, was then it was for something that she wanted to have a party for, right? If somebody special to her came over to the house, she's gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna open up that cabinet, and lo and behold, this like big light comes out, right? <laughs> and this like fresh aroma of heaven just opens up somehow, <laughs> and you can smell it, and then she takes out those plates and uses them. So, and when we're thinking about consecrating or even devoting, it's that idea. It's for that special purpose. But in Joshua, that we could actually see that when God talks about devoting something or consecrating something, it could be for both. It could be one for good, especially for his purposes, right, for his people. So he devoted his people uh, to doing um, his work, but at the same time, we understand that the Canaanites, the people that they um, took over for in Jericho, when they had the victory, um, they were devoted for destruction. So God had a purpose for everything. It wasn't just haphazard. Um, so, um, so when we take a look at it, um, so, so when we take a look at it, right, so some of you might think, like, wow, that's, that's really brutal. Like, is it even in God's character to say to his people, go to Jericho and destroy everything that you can? Especially their devoted things, right? Their devoted things were actually what we could see later on, even in Judges, we could see that some of them kept the devoted things. But when, when you take a look at it, right, if devoted means that you can consecrate something, then the Canaanites were actually consecrating these things. They were devoting things for their own worship for their own rituals. So that means that they had idols that they kept. So what God wanted them, the, the Israelites to do when they took over Jericho is that they would destroy everything. They would destroy everything in the land, right? They would annihilate everything, including the devoted things. But God specifically said that there are going to be some of those devoted things that are going into um, being consecrated only to God. And he said, don't take those things. And then we'll take a look at to see, I believe that you went over it in cha uh, Joshua chapter 6 about those devoted things and what God actually told them. So, but why would God do that, right? Like, why would God actually tell his people to just annihilate everything and to um, make sure that everything else is uh, destroyed? Remember that, like, you know, Within that, that culture, the Canaanites were very brutal in the way that they did, did things. They had a lot of like, very, very cultish like, traditions that they would do in their culture. So what God wanted was that he wanted the worship of the Israelites. They, he wanted for his people that when they took over the land, that they wouldn't be influenced by that culture that they had. 
God didn't want whatever it is that the Canaanites were doing for their own worship to their own idols to be influencing their worship for God. Right? So we were talking about that just right now um, at the beginning. You know, it's so easy for us to be influenced these days because we have TVs, we have our phones, we have our technology. But in Joshua's time, it was very, like, really not any kind of different. You know, it's not like they had TV back then, so it's not that they're going to stay inside the house. They're going to go out and talk to the people. And whatever it is that they're taking in, it's obviously going to influence them. You know, but I think, like, even today, you know, it's, it's so much easier for us to be influenced, whether we like it or not. Right? We have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have all this social media that is just really pumping out information all day, every day to us. And whether we like it or not, the product is actually picking us and helping us to decide what it is that we want to eat, eat like later, right? If you see an ad on TV, what are you going to do if you're hungry? <laughs> Man, the first thing that we did, like when when we were driving down here, my daughter was like, we're going to Pollo, you know, because we don't have that in there. But at the same time, my wife knew that I wanted to go to Jollibee, right? We didn't even get here yet. We already knew the things that we wanted to, to go and eat at. And, and even that, like, you know, we have people like Amazon have developed this program called the Influencers Program. Why do you think they wanted to do that? Right? It is to influence other people to buy the product that they are selling. You know, it's no longer that you're going to the store and actually picking the product that you want, but the product is actually picking you, in a sense, because they know who you are. They've targeted you. They know your age. They know your, your gender. They know what you like. Right? And I'm pretty sure Facebook is picking up everything I'm saying right now, and next thing you know, there's an ad about something, <laughs> about something that I just mentioned. That's how quickly and easy it is that we are influenced these days. So it's not really any different back then because you know that it's, it's so easy to influence somebody just as long as you talk to them. But God promised that, the Isra that Israel would take over the land of Canaan where the Canaanites lived, right? So these people were known for destruction and God was to punish their sins by using his own people. And that's to destroy them, to destroy their land and take over it and give it to Israel. But again, they were supposed to destroy everything, all the devoted things, their consecrated artifacts, which include idols, so that what? To not influence the worship for God. God wanted worship that is unadulterated. Because in the context that we're taking a look at, when the people of Israel disobeyed God, it's so strong, like the word that, he, that God uses that he says that it's almost like adultery. Sin against God at that time, the, the languages that, that God is using, is he's saying that you are being unfaithful to me, Right? I mean, do we take a look at sin that way these days? Sometimes we think that it's just a, a mistake that we did, but it isn't. You know, we need to take a look at sin again, just the same way that God 
um, had it before, that it is against God and against his words. So, um, but is God calling us to, to do the same thing today? Is God calling us to live that holy life again today? Um, while it is not a physical war that we're fighting, just like we see here in I in, in Jericho, uh, God is still calling us to live that holy life and consecrated life. And as Paul said in Ephesians 6, that we are to put on what? The armor of God, right? He said uh, the, the full armor of God, not just your helmet, not just your breastplate, right? The full armor of God. He says that. You know why? Because we are continuously and daily fighting the principalities of evil and darkness. And so he tells us the full armor, put it on. So what is our personal responsibility? You know, it is to guard our worship to God, to have a pure worship of God, unadulterated um, in what he has called us to do. It is to resist any influence of ungodliness. It is to resist all influence of ungodliness. So, so then we realize that personal worship time is essential. It's important. Personal time with God is always going to be important. And because it's, it's our pursuit of holiness. Since the word of God is what helps us to resist those, those advances from the world, right? It helps us to guard our minds and our hearts from any contamination of unethical practices that maybe is creeping up at you at work. And maybe the temptation of lust. And maybe the constant temptation of greed and polluting the mind of evil thoughts. Like, you know, how can you fight that if you don't have your personal worship with God? How can you? We are to guard ourselves so that we can advance in our pursuit of holiness. Um, so this is my second time that I joined um, this, this group of men that we have at, at our church, along with our, our senior pastor. Um, there's this Bible study that we go to with men, other men, called Journey Group. It's really interesting. <laughs> it's like the, the most interesting title I've ever heard. But it is a journey, right, this life that we have. But it's a journey group. So at the beginning of our time together, like one of the challenges that we had was to memorize verses. I don't know what it is about my mind, especially after COVID. I just have this foggy mind. So I have a really hard time memorizing things. And my wife will tell you I can't even find my, my phone. I can't find my keys. <laughs> You know, so let alone, like, when my pastor was saying, like, you know, we're going to memorize one of the verses in here, and you're going to um, memorize it for us. Like, you're going to make sure that every single one of us would actually um, say it during our, our time as a group. So at the beginning, I was, like, really struggling with it. And I know that it's important, right? So I felt guilty that I couldn't memorize uh, the verses that we were reading. But as time went on, you know, I noticed that even the other men in our group were just really getting excited about the Word of God. So I began to get really excited about it, and I realized that it's not just for memorization's sake. It's really for my growth as the, the person that God is calling me to. So, you know, we started to memorize a lot more, and we were even talking about the verses as we are having dinner together, or we're, we'll go out for lunch, and every single one of us would throw out a verse at each other, <laughs> you know, just to remind us about the Word of God. 
And I love that because then I started to see changed lives. Not only mine, but the men that were uh, with us studying the Word of God. And I love it because there was a challenge in there uh, to do 21 days of devotion, right? For you to create a habit, you have to start it. And make sure that even if you just start a little bit and just to start reading verses a day, at least you're doing that. But that's important. Pray about it. Memorize it. Because it's going to help you as you worship God. But it's important devoting that time and making sure that we do that. And we would be foolish to think that we can be in this world and not be influenced by it. It's impossible. We are in the world. It's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, we have to be connected with God. And as Jesus said already in the word, he said that I am the vine and you are the branches. And we can't have life if we are out of the vine. We have to be connected to him. Our life comes from God and not from anything else. And also John wrote in 1 John that we are not to love the things of this world, but to love God who gave us all the things that we need. To not love the world. And if we are loving the world, he says, you know, that pride of the world, all the lust of the world will come to your heart versus what God is trying to teach you. So we need to devote our time to God, untainted, unadulterated worship of God, something that is pure worship to God. So as we can see here that Achan was punished for his sin of taking the devoted things, the consecrated things, because those things belong to God. And not only that, that, not only that but God wanted those idols and those devoted things destroyed so that their worship of God is pure from the culture of the Canaanites. Sin is what hinders us a pure worship of God, and that's exactly what Achan did. He disobeyed God in what he said. So he became responsible for that. And our mistake is to think that we are not offending God when we sin, but we are offending God. And we should be very serious about it. But instead, you know, instead of like actually, like what John said, that we should, uh, in First John, that we should uh, confess our sins to God because he's so easy to forgive us because of his grace uh, towards his people. Like, you know, sometimes we just excuse ourselves from it. Like, somehow it's just self-forgiving, but that's not how it works. You know, we offended God, so we confess to God. So God made Achan and his family responsible for their sin and punished them for unfaithfulness, for their disobedience, and essentially acting and being like the Canaanites. So, um, all right, so why would this be important, you think, as a Christian? Like, what would be something so important about being consecrated for God and living this pure life. Um, if you take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, he says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses, against, again, you know, that's that cleansing, that purifying, that consecrating himself or herself from what is dis dishonorable, he or she will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Right? God wants us to have that pure life so that he can use us for good work, for ministry. 
I don't know about you, but when my heart is not right, I feel like I can't serve God until I've really gone on my knees and asked for forgiveness from God. I know that for a fact. I know for a fact that when there is sin in my heart and in my life, like I feel like I can't even hear God, even when I'm praying. Like I feel like he's just so far away. So we need to make sure that we are living that holy life, pure worship to God. So how can we be useful to God if we are not devoting ourselves to him and for that pure worship? Um, so as we read through Joshua chapter 7, now we see, um, I just want to read to you again in verse 1. It says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of God. Man, how do you feel about that? <laughs> like, re just reading that, right? I, I remember, like, when I started reading a lot of books, um, some fictional books, and they would always start, you know, that dark, dreary, midnight sun. <laughs> and it's like raining. You understood that there's already something wrong going on. And just right after the victory at Jericho, just imagine that right here, it says, you know, with a big contrast, um, where it says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. And then we understand that the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. It burned. So we can see that Israel was repeatedly said here twice. Isn't that interesting? Um, we understand, like, in the story that there's only one man that actually committed the sin. But somehow, God is making Israel responsible for the sin of one man. Did you guys notice that? Like, just in verse 1 alone, that Israel was repeated twice, but then Achan was actually mentioned once. And then we also see, again, later on in verse 12, um, and um, down the line that we can see that Achan and his family were the ones that had committed that. So I just want to go back to Joshua chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, and I just want to read to you guys um, what he says here. He says, uh, God was commanding the people, right? They're going to Jericho. They're about to defeat Jericho. And then God commanded them this before they attacked. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted for to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Did you notice in verse 18 what he said? He said, if you take something, right? So he's pointing at individuals. God is saying, like, if one of you, one of you in the camp takes something that is devoted to destruction, right? He said in verse 18, if you take any of those things and make the camp, the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So it's very specific what God was saying, right? If you're the one who's committing the sin, you're going to make the whole camp responsible for your actions. I mean, that's pretty interesting. That's really, like, um, it, it's, it's really interesting to, to hear that. But we can see that 
God is making, for what it is, it's like, you know, it's really this one person almost representing the whole of Israel. So even though that he's committing by himself, he is representing who? The people of God. So he's saying that, like, you know, whatever it is that you're sinning, you're not just sinning against me, but you're sinning against the whole camp. That's a big <laughs> responsibility for one person, right? But that's God's command, so he said that. But if you think about it, um, so here's an example of representation, right? So let's say that you're driving down I-95. It's just a really beautiful day. You have the Christian station on, and you're, you're you know, blasting it to Hillsong, and you're just like having a really good time, worship time, even though that I-95 is crazy. Like somehow your lane is just like beautiful and nobody's in it, just except you. That's your lane, right? And suddenly somebody cuts you off. And they just, this big truck that just cuts you off. And you're like, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, and you just kind of turn on the music and you're trying to collect yourself because you are a Christian, right? Like you're trying to, <laughs> to say like, I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm not going to retaliate. But you realize at the back of that truck, there's a number that you can call, right? So it says, how am I driving? So then you dial the number. Of course, you pull over first, right? You take down the, the, the license tag. Um, but you call the company, and you notice that it's actually Publix truck. So you're like, oh, no, I'm going to call Publix, and I'm going to let them know that their driver, one of their truck drivers, is driving really crazy. So you call them, and you, you talk to the people on the line, and you tell them exactly what this driver did. Right? So even though that you're calling the company, you know that when you are reporting that driver, that driver is not Publix. Right? But he's still driving for who? He's still driving for the company Publix. So he is still responsible because he's representing Publix at that time, unless that truck did not have any kind of public sign on it. Right? So he's not the company, but he is part of that company. He still represented that. So if he did something wrong, you're still looking at the whole, which is the company. But at the same time, that person is not the company. You following me? <laughs> right? So he is representing that. And we see something similar in our situation with Aiken and his family. Though they were not, um, they were the offenders in the camp who took the devoted things that God said not to take. But God also said in Joshua, right, 6 to 18, that what we read there, that there is that requirement <laughs> that if one man sin, the whole is punished. So it was very specific in what he says. So what can we glean from this scenario as we see happening with Achan and his family? Is this how a church should deal with sinning parties? Should we stone them? <laughs> that doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> but it was very specific in what God said. So here are some thoughts that I have for this. You know, the emphasis here is that God takes sin seriously. And more seriously, his people living that holy life. And that's what God wanted. That's what God wants for us, right? That we take seriously the sin that we commit. Because it is an offense to God. Um, in the same way that God saved Israel from slavery, and they are to use their freedom to what? Not to sin, 
but to live holy lives. And in the same way, in Galatians, Paul tells us in Galatians 5.1 that it is for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ, um, that Christ set us free. He set us free so we can have that freedom. But it's, what is that freedom to be used for? Is it to be a slave again to sin? No. He said to use that freedom to live holy lives and to love one another. You know, so, however, we are in some way responsible for each other. We are. Because we are a body. God called us his body, his bride, his family. This church that we call, right, we're responsible to each other. And I know some of us don't want to be called out for our sins, but it is necessary. Because sometimes we have blind spots. Maybe that we don't see what's going on in our life, and we're committing a sin against God. But do we want that? You know, so we are responsible to each other um, and, and be called out for what we have done. But, you know, I, I think the church discipline gets a bad rap because we think that, uh, like, maybe because it was done in a wrong way before. You know, church discipline is not really to shame you. It's not to do that because you committed a sin, but it's actually to help you remember that the act was not to be repeated and they are to repent, that you are to repent from that wrongdoing against God, right? Because shaming somebody is not kind, it's not loving. It doesn't show the grace of God that he has shown us and the mercy that he has shown us. So, you know, we discipline so that we can get them back to God, so we can help them get back to God. And that's, that, you know, that's very important in, in doing church discipline. And Aiken's story in Joshua was very specific commands from Joshua chapter 6. So, you know, obviously that punishment is not going to be the same way that we have. Um, second, we need to guard the gospel at all costs, no matter what. We need to guard it. We need to guard it from false teachers. And we read in 1 John 4, 1 to 2, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. There are many fa false prophets in the world still. You know, it's not just in First John uh, where we're reading that, but we know that there are people that still preach against the gospel, and they would even come to the church, and they would continue to preach a different gospel. But we have to be careful in what we are hearing, and we have to test every spirit like what he said. But what I love about what John is saying is that we already have the truth. And if we already have the truth, then what does that mean? Anything that is false, anything that is apart from the gospel, we would know what it is because we already have the truth in us. So no matter what we do, no matter what uh, man says about God, we know what the truth is. We know about God. Right? So it is important that we guard the gospel at all costs and not let any teachings, any other teachings influence our thinking and our teaching. And same with our pursuit of holiness, our own personal pursuit of holiness. Our church collective should also pursue pure worship of God. 
we need to do that. And at times, since we are soaked in the culture, sometimes we don't realize that some of the things that we're doing, that maybe it's not part of the gospel. You know, the gospel doesn't need a supplement, right? Romans 1.16 says what? For the power of God rests in where? In the gospel, in what we preach. It is Jesus' life, his death, and resurrection. It doesn't need a supplemental message because it is already the power of God that we are preaching. You know, which brings us to our third thought. thought um, the third thing is that we do not only need to guard the teachings in our church, but we need to have our regular meetings to talk about the gospel. How much are you meeting together? You know, if you're missing Sunday, if you are listening right now and you're not here, that's fine. But, you know, don't stay at, at, at home all every Sunday and just watch streaming. You need to be with other believers so that you can hear the gospel together and you can live it out together as uh, people of God. Um, also, um, there is importance of being together and hearing the word of God preached because your leaders are helping you grow in Christ. And you can see that in Ephesians chapter 4. So, you know, I, I was speaking with another pastor in another town, and it's not just like one church that is, is um, feeling um, uh, this phenomenon in their churches. Like once the pandemic started and you started having streaming services, you know, some of the younger uh, Christians are starting to just stay at home and watch streaming. And when the ban was lifted for masks and the vaccines were coming out, um, it's pretty interesting that they didn't go back, right? And most of them just stayed home. And I, I get it. If you do have medical issues, yes, it, you know, stay home as much as you can. But if you are able to be with other believers, then be with other believers as much as you can. You know why? Because you need that encouragement. You need somebody to help you grow. You need to be connected with other ch uh, believers. Um, so that you can also grow in your worship and try to make it um, to that. But lastly, regard the gospel for the next generation. You want that pure worship of God, not only for your generation, but also for the next generations of Christians to come. You want that to be guarded and to be protected. So as we uh, close today, as we close this morning, Did you know that the Bible calls us as ambassadors of the gospel? That means that when we go out to the world, we have, um, you know, we have a, a command from God to actually preach the gospel to all peoples. And you know what I, I love about so much when our pastor ends it, every sermon that my, our, our pastor ends, he says that um, in this world, um, God had given you a role to play in in this this world that that god called you to and he says to play it very well you know i love that because that's what we're supposed to do but how are we supposed to do that if our life is not pure if we're not living a holy life how can god use us to be his ambassadors but we should be excited you know because there is joy in living a holy life there is joy in god in living a holy life and there is joy in preaching the gospel. You know why? Because it's the power of God for the salvation of all. And we should be excited about that. Our life should reflect the holiness of God so that people would see that you are representing God 
and not the world. You are God's children to be set apart, to be different, to be holy in the midst of a world full of darkness and ungodliness. Let's pray together. Our dear God, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, that you are still guiding us with your word. Thank you, God, for our leaders at the church that help us to understand your word. Thank you, God, that you are helping us in our pursuit of holiness every day with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And as we continue to pursue you and pursue this life that you have called us for, Lord, I ask that you would protect us from all the influences outside and to have that pure worship towards you, Lord. And if we do sin, Lord, like what John has said in his letter, that we would be quick to confess to you, Lord, our sins, because we know, Lord, that we have offended you. And you said, Lord, that you would forgive us. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.